Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 113. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Uh, and today we bid a fond farewell to uh, Star Trek The Next Generation as we conclude our next-gen discussions with all good things. Following our all good things discussion, we've got an awesome interview with Larry Nemechek, uh, the Trek Ninja, but that will be after our all good things discussion. So check the show notes if you wanted to jump straight to that. <laughs> Here we go. All Good Things, Season 7, Episodes 25 and 26, Production Numbers 277 and 278, Original Air Date, May 23rd, 1994, Directed by Winrick Colby, Written by Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Casts include Denise Crosby as Tasha Yar, Colin Meany as Miles O'Brien, John Delancey as Q, Andreas Katsoulis as Tomalak, Clyde Kasatsu as Admiral Nakamura, Patty Yasutake as Alyssa Ogawa, Pamela Kosh as Giselle, Tim Keller as Gaines, Allison Brooks as Chilton, Stephen Matthew Garvin as Ensign, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. A panicked Picard bursts off the turbo lift in his bathrobe, declaring that he is inexplicably moving back and forth through time. Shaken, he begins to describe the experience to Troy, but is then transported 25 years into the future. Working in his vineyard at his home in France, he is visited by Geordi, who has come by because Picard is ill with Eremotic Syndrome, an affliction which causes mental deterioration. Picard is then transported to the past, where he is on a shuttlecraft with Tasha Yar, traveling to the USS Enterprise for the first time. After several jumps, Picard finds himself in front of a queue. In the same courtroom, he stood seven years earlier, standing trial for humanity. It started right here in the future. That's why it's getting larger in the past. I think I know what the captain is talking about. If I'm not mistaken, he's describing a paradox. Yes, right, that's it. Intriguing. It is possible. We could have caused the very anomaly we've been looking for. All good things. All good things must come to an end. You know, I want to start this off in a little bit different way. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I always think about when I watch this episode is, Steve, the story that you have about the night it aired. I know it's a short story, but <laughs> you remember? Uh, I don't know if I remember all of it. I, 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 I can tell you what I do remember, and you can see if it jives with what you remember me telling you. It's been over 20 years ago, obviously. But, um, we were yeah, first. You have to tell people what you your vocation used to be. <laughs> well, we we uh, uh, we worked and we did we did some mobile DJing on the side. So we um, were DJing. I believe it was a middle school dance or something. You know, like a junior high kind of dance. You know, and uh, it was just a matter of the timing was such. I wanted to get back. I mean, of course, we recorded like on VCR or whatever, but um, just in case. But uh, I wanted to get back in time for it, and we just you know, packed up. I mean, it was like, thanks. Good night. Shut down. I mean, you know, throwing <laughs> stuff in the vehicle to get back in time. You know, I, I, I believe we made it barely, <laughs> you know, as best I can recall, but that was, and then my brother and I got back and watched it, you know, the night it aired, it was a big deal. But, yeah. I just always had this, this funny view of, of, um, of you guys just yeah, taking you <laughs> into that old transport. Yeah. Fast yep. as you could. Yeah. <laughs> driving home and just jumping out of the car and running in there turning on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. That's how it used to be, folks. Appointment viewing. <laughs> yes, very much so. Mm. So, 
All good things. Caesar, do you remember uh, the first time you saw this episode? Did you see it when it first aired? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, I saw it when it first aired. Um, well, I was a senior in high school, so that would have been around the time things were winding down for me. Graduation, you were, yeah, same for you, right, Brian? You graduated, yeah, that's graduated high school. 94. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a crazy, turbulent time. I don't remember exactly what I was doing the day of, to be honest. But I would have watched it at home probably with my mom. Hmm. It's it's uh it's just one of those weird things you know I've talked about this like when it first when it, when it first opens and you see um, Worf and Troy talking and then you see Picard come in in his jammies I just have this sense of yes this is the last opening of a Star Trek the Next Generation episode you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like near the end uh, when Q's giving that wonderful speech about um, charting the you know the unknown territories of the human mind or whatever you know and then he's 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 pulling back and he says i'll always be watching something to that effect you know and he's on that little crane chair and it's pulling back you know there's something so sad from that with that purely from a fan of star trek the next generation point of view knowing that this is the end you know um at least they had the movies that several of the subsequent the other series didn't have but you know the movies are different and um, all that nostalgia-y stuff out of the way. Let's talk about the episode. Um, Star Trek The Next Generation is not my favorite Star Trek series. Obviously, I love it. I love Star Trek. Um, but it's not my favorite. Um, that, was, that would still be DS9. Um, other shows that I thought were amazing recently, you know, Ron Moore's Battlestar, the original Prisoner, uh, Breaking Bad might be my favorite non-Star Trek show ever. That show was so amazing. I don't know. I'm sure I'm missing something. Lately, I've been really into Orphan Black, whatever. Some you know, really amazing stuff. Um, but I don't know that any other TV show has had as great of a series finale as Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody else has. I mean, you know, what you leave behind is awesome, but I think All Good Things does the most amazing job of giving us what the show was, giving us some great um, Valentine kind of stuff for the fans, you know, seeing the first time, you know, going back to the pilot in a way. You know, stuff like that. Um, it gives us all of those things. It's also just good outright. I mean, it's 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 very interesting. You know, it's it's a fascinating Picard story. It's another great chance for Patrick Stewart to show off his incredible acting ability abilities. Um, you know, it gives us all of these things, and it's an entirely satisfying conclusion to the series. Now, again. One thing they had going for them that some other shows didn't was that they were going right into movies. Um, what You Leave Behind, for example, they did they do a really great job in that show, in DS9's finale, of kind of closing out individual characters. I mean, you know, you literally seeing people leave the station and knowing, you know, whatever. You, you feel it. You, and, and I'm so glad they did that and that show needed that. Someday we do Voyager, you'll hear me rant about the finale for that show because it didn't give us any real closure on the characters. Next Gen doesn't really do that 
but that 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 never that's the one thing that that they were going into movies that makes it okay. That's the one thing they get from hey, we're going to make movies that makes that okay. I didn't need that closure on the characters because I because we were getting the movies. They did uh, that nemesis <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse. Um, so this so all good things doesn't exactly have the individual character closure, but that doesn't bother me in the least. I don't need. In fact, I probably wouldn't want it. You know. Because you do want that sense of, of they're going to go off and continue their exploration, and it goes on forever as a show. You know what I mean? Um, that works. These are kind of all my my first jumbled thoughts about the masterpiece that is all good things. What are some of your guys' first thoughts? Well, I agree. It's it does so much so well. I mean, you know, it's it's a good wrap up. It's it's yeah like I agree that it's it's probably in my opinion the best uh, I mean series finale I'm aware of of any series for all the reasons you mentioned and I think it's also a great episode in the sense that in a way it's technically complex it would be very easy to fall into this kind of like what is going on you know I don't you know you'd have to like yeah. ramble on about the the tech crap the techno babble the whole time and get lost in that it'd be very easy to do that but they manage to do that, you know, in a way that it doesn't get tiresome. You understand what's going on, and it still is mostly focused on character stuff, you know, which is where it, what it needs to do. It's focused on these relationships and the possibilities of relationships and uh, the history of the show and all this fun stuff. And yet, the kind of the technical side of it is fairly complex, but it doesn't get bogged down in it. Um, yeah, when I was watching this. <clears throat> it made me think about because I'm, I'm I'm in agreement with both of you guys that this is probably the best series ender of all the shows that Star Trek has put out there thus far. Um, and it made me think about what some of the other shows that my favorite series ending shows. I really enjoyed the series se- series ending of Quantum Leap back in mm-hmm, the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I um, remember that. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, that was a great. Um, that was a great series ending. Obviously, it was another Matt, one where they they wanted to leave it feeling like this. Yeah, you know, it, it the. The adventure continues. <laughs> right. Star Trek, uh, what three? Um, and then what? Um, Mash for you young mm-hmm. viewers out there, you may not know about that one. Um, and then more recently, I really enjoyed the um, series ender of Boardwalk Empire. Um, I even like the series ender of Lost. Um, but I, what I really like the series ender is this one. It encapsulates encapsulates not only the show and this cast and this whole thing, and it, it kind of encapsulates for me, you know. Star Trek, the meaning of Star Trek in those last scenes when you have, you know, Q explaining it's not about the exploration of the stars and galaxies and nebulas. It's, it's about the internal journey of the mind and expanding that. And um, the show kind of nails that. It's just, you know, the paradox, Picard realizing it for the instant and opens up his mind to different possibilities. And that's kind of what always Star Trek was about for me. And I think this episode encapsul- encapsulates that better than probably any episode of Star Trek I've seen. You know, in a way it's amazing that this episode is so good because if, you know, maybe we'll take a minute to, to recap at the end of this discussion, but probably don't need to because we can do it now. Season seven just overall wasn't very good. You know, I, I, I remembered it not being that great and now we finished watching it and I can say season seven, not very good. You know, um, three, Three through six, good. Seven, a lot of stuff that missed the mark. Um, 
And this episode in particular was written so fast. I mean, they spent like a month or, or something kind of breaking the story, that kind of thing. But they wrote the script for this. Remember, you know, Ron Moore, Brandon Braga, they were writing Generations at the same time. They'd actually been writing Generations, the feature, you know, for like a year, a kajillion rewrites and stuff. And Generations was actually shooting at the same time that All Good Things was shooting. Just, <laughs> you know, you know, B stuff that, that didn't involve the main crew. Because when All Good Things finished, the main cast got 10 days off, then they came back to start shooting Generations. But they were shooting like uh, Enterprise B stuff while this is going on. And that makes sense if you think about it. All Good Things was on television in May and Generations was in the theaters in, mm-hmm. what, November or something? Yeah. So, of mm-hmm. course, they had to do that. Um, but the fact that the same two guys wrote both, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. That's pretty you know, crazy. If you've ever seen like, – listen to interviews with either one of those guys talk about this time. I mean, it's just a blur for them. You know, They were living at each other's houses, just writing, 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 and they would get confused because they would be like, wait a minute, which move, which – is this for the the finale or for the movie? Which scene? This scene? I don't remember. <laughs> it's like that for them, uh, you know. So it's it's crazy that all good things turned out so well. Um, and as I've said many times, I like this episode so much that it's that it's worth having that seventh season, which is the majority of which I don't care for, um, just so that we could have this. And I still feel that way wholeheartedly. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's interesting too because it's this whole all good things is so like when you really think about it, it's pretty much it's constructed like most of our normal shows technically. Um, it's still for the most part our main cast sitting around talking, you know, which is what you can afford to do on television. Yes, they built some new sets. Obviously, they they were able to amortize this over a couple of episodes as a finale, Um, and that's great. But I'm just saying, I don't know. There's no big outside villain or something, you know, Um, like they would have to do in a in a in a movie. So in a way, it's like you're watching this, and it feels. It feels so awesome, but it's like, well, all these pieces were there all along, but we got lots of <laughs> not so great stuff throughout season seven, but they they hit it out of the park here. Um, there's so many little things, so many little bitty things. The little the little thread they do with, you know, little things they do for character stuff, right? That Worf, uh, Riker in the future, the animosity, that little thread there. Mm-hmm. They don't do a lot with it, but they don't have to. They do just enough to to give the present a little bit of spice once, you know, to to give that last scene where, you know, something like, I think maybe Picard told us about the future so that we can make sure we don't make those mistakes or something to that effect. Um, But that's what that stuff was there for. So that even these other characters besides Picard had something. But um, that's just one of the many things. I love another future thing. I love how Data is always the one who's got faith in Picard and he's, he's always mm-hmm. at the last second comes up with something. Even cool. that scene on 10 forward when uh, Picard comes in there and he's like all stuttery or whatever. And he can't, he's trying to say what about the time paradox and it's not quite, you know, and he, he does sound like he's mm-hmm. you know, lost it. Yeah. Lost it. Uh, but then it feels it's, it's, it's so uh, heartwarming when all, when, when, it seems like that's the case, and then Data says, 
I think I see what he's what he's going mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and it's it's so great because I think they could have easily gone in some dark direction or whatever mm-hmm. I don't know but they don't and I'm so glad for that and I love and it's one of those little things that just makes me love data mm-hmm. you know and these are just some lines that are written for the guy and 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 it's and it's fantastic you know and there are several other scenes where he's he's the one you know that they're ready to stop and he's like unless we did this I I love that stuff I love that mm-hmm. stuff and speaking of, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's a very minor theme, but talking to kind of branching off what you were saying there, too, there's a little bit of that whole notion of, you know, taking older people seriously. You know, when he's, it's, 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 it's the Picard we know jumping through these other times, but obviously he's in the body and mind of the Picard he's in. So when he's in the future, when he's got the aromatic syndrome, he has trouble focusing a little bit, you know, and he kind of, you know, rambles a bit and this kind of thing but i felt there was a little bit i mean not maybe not intentionally addressing it but you get that vibe of the tendency to take uh you know older people especially if there there are certain symptoms there you're not as seriously you know and like you said it's it's nice to see you know data's the primary one who will always step up and it's like well you know he's 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 got something here you know let me help clarify in this kind of thing you know i yeah. i think I kind of enjoyed seeing um, first season Grumpy Bacardi. That's what he kind of re- reminded me of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, talking about first season stuff, all those great uh, the the past sections where we get to see the fun stuff of like you know the first time Picard is shown the Enterprise mm-hmm. by Tasha even. Yeah. You know that's awesome. That's so awesome. Who didn't want to see that? Yeah, yeah. You know? Or you know when he's he's. This, when he's giving his speech, taking taking command of the vessel, that stuff is great. Um, I like the little scene with O'Brien talking about the model ships, the ships in the body. Yeah, which yeah. that's something that I think O'Brien told him later. That was mm-hmm. it. The wounded? No, is that the one where uh, so they have to go help his old captain? Maybe I, I know what you're talking about. Anyway, yeah. I think that's something Picard told him in that ep- episode. You know, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, how did you know that? Oh, it's in your Starfleet records. <laughs> um, you know, so there's so much stuff. And that, just that general thing of getting the band back together, that kind of storyline for the future stuff. I think that's the stuff that I enjoy the most. Um, I don't know what else. Stuff like that. The, uh, Enterprise D with the third nacelle that can cloak. <laughs> that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, yeah. That's 20 years ago, and it's still really cool. I love it. Yeah. I still have that toy somewhere. <laughs> I made a couple of them. I got them in a box somewhere. Um, I always enjoyed that um, this last episode um, kind of brought everything back full circle. There's, you know, and it completed that little arc. I don't know if it was intentional, but it ended the trial. up trial. Yeah, yeah I, mean, this, I don't know if it was intentional. I don't think it, it was planned out from the beginning, but that's where it ended. And um, for me, when I was younger watching this, that was cool to me because. I didn't quite. You don't didn't quite kind of see that store story arc, especially in the original episode, original series. That kind of like how the story comes back to the beginning. Um, and I think it's kind of one of the first times I kind of got to experience that kind of type of storytelling. So it was really neat, neat for me. And I know that's probably what generations is kind of given to series that have come after it. There's this, this story arc that goes out through the, all the years that. Um, you're able to see that maybe you didn't necessarily get to see in the original series. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, Q's kind of self-referential <clears throat> statements about the mun- mundane nature of 
you know, what he's observed the crew doing in that one point where he's talking to Picard and, you know, things like helping Riker with his career and <laughs> th- that kind of stuff when he's just basically he's talking about the last seven years of the series, you know, but he's talking about humanity. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the analogy is the test, you know, using this, essentially using this series to gauge humanity's place, you know, and such. It, it does. It, <laughs> Sorry, that was a that was a funny um little speech. Um, <laughs> he said Troy's a babble. What did he? What was it? A psycho babble. Yeah. Psycho babble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just can't help but kind of laugh at, at Q in those, oh, yeah. in those when he has those yeah. long little monologues. Those funny things reminded me. Uh, I love seeing Data as first season Data again. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that was cool. fun. Yeah, when he has this because because it's one of those things you don't even realize that that's who he was then until they're yeah almost making a joke about it you know but you immediately get it yeah totally yeah. <laughs> yeah. um god you know we could talk about this episode for hours and that would be silly uh, <laughs> um I, we got to talk briefly about the last scene i think uh it's such a great way. I don't know if they did it on purpose too, but that's such a great way to kind of close out the show, the the poker game. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it it works so well that it almost makes you think, well, they they didn't put Picard in the poker game on purpose all these years so they could do this scene. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the case. That is not the truth. Um, but that's how well that last scene works for me. You know, and where Picard actually when Picard. His last few lines, I mean, it's perfect. You know, um, I should have done this a long time ago. Um, whatever's wild and sky's the limit, you know. And then you got that great overhead shot. Um, it's uh, simple and poignant. And I remember it. And I can I can tell you that last shot in a way that most other shows I couldn't do that. What were you going to yeah. say? I tell you, I tell you, yeah, I um, I've I have not seen watched the end of that episode and not cried. I don't know. <laughs> I've I've seen this episode a lot. I mean, more maybe the most out of any next gen episode because I think when the series wrapped, it was almost like, you know, again back then you have the recording or whatever you did if you recorded it or something. That's all you had back when these first aired and or reruns, of course. And, you know, I really dug it. And then there's no more next gen until the movie. So it was kind of the last thing, you know. So I, don't, I watched this episode a lot back in the day. So I, I know it probably back and forth better than any other Star Trek. Yeah, I do remember. I, I mean, I do I do kind of have to look away for a second. A couple of those last lines. You know, yeah, just to, I mean. Yeah. But something you said just totally reminded me. Didn't I give you uh, all good things on LaserDisc one year for Christmas? Maybe you I already had right. it. I think that's right. I think that's right. you already have it? I remember I, know, I gave it to no, you. No, I, I had I was kind of I just had a few different episodes on Laserdisc. Yeah. I never like got them all or anything, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, I remember then. <laughs> For our younger Laser listeners, disc. you're gonna have to look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> Laserdisc, Laserdisc. <laughs> you know, this was the only episode of Next Gen that was ever turned into a comic. They did the movies, yeah. but uh, or not all the movies. They did three of the movies, but this was the only time they ever turned an, an episode into a comic. This episode got a novelization. They did. There were a few novelizations from yeah. from Next Gen. I remember Relics was one, but this was the only one that got a comic. Makes you think about this was 
how visual this episode is, even for still being within the confines of their normal television stuff. Well, I guess we've started to talk about a little bit about what it's about. Caesar, you were talking about that that last scene between Q and Picard. Is that getting into what it's about? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know this is kind of sound lame, but I, I kind of feel like this episode is about Star Trek. It's about what it's about, um, for me at least. Um, I think you could probably say this episode's a lot, about a lot of things. You could say it's about family, friendship, kinship amongst the crew and the cast and the family of writers and directors and, you know, reading about it and how they all wanted to end on a high note and they, you know, hit it, hit it, hit the bullseye with this one. But at least that's what it's for, for me. It, it's, this is about Star Trek just because about those last lines and about how it kind of all comes together there in the end. Yeah, I, I concur. I mean, it's that notion of it's a it's about the journey, not the destination. It's about uh, the expansion of our horizons, our you know, our mind, our views, the human race, where we're going, you know, and and keep moving forward. Um, and of course, along the way, obviously, that's a very tight knit group, and it's and so it's it's you know, being being with loved ones and the relationships and all of that. So it, yeah, that's for me. That's what it all encompasses. Well, the standards of our show, boy, does this episode hold up. <laughs> mm. It totally holds up, 100%. Um, and I'm sure we're going to be watching this episode for the rest of our lives. God willing, that's the next 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do six degrees for all good things. Oh, sounds like Steve's got going to know all the questions today, right? I don't know. It depends on what he... Pulls out here, I'll see. Mm, uh, you know, both of these are character name questions, mm. uh, but I don't think either one's particularly hard. So Steve, you go on first or second? I'll go first. Pamela Kosh plays Giselle, Data's housekeeper, whom Data keeps around because she's a funny one. In Next Gen's sixth season, she played Mrs. Carmichael in the episode Time Zero Part Two. What did Mrs. Carmichael call Patrick Stewart's character? How did she address him? Oh, was it um, Mr. Pickard? That's right, Mr. Pickard. <laughs> Adam, Tim Kelleher, Kelleher uh, plays Lieutenant Gaines, the future Enterprise's tactical officer who helps defend against the Klingons. In Voyager's sixth season, in the episode Survival Instincts, he played a Borg. Fill in the blanks for his character's name. Four of blank, secondary adjunct of Unimatrix blank. Four of nine. Yes. What was the second part? Blank. Secondary adjunct of Unimatrix blank. Unimatrix. Unimatrix. I don't know. Nine. Guess a number. <laughs> guess a number. I'll give you a hint that it's a number. <laughs> nine. No, Steve. Oh gosh, um, four of nine tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix zero one. Zero one. That's right. <laughs> that uh, was two numbers, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you would have said one, I would have given it to you. All right. Okay, folks. Um, so, um, oh wait, you know what? Before we do the interview, real quick. Well, you know what? I feel like we kind of. We kind of covered. We did a season seven recap inside the episode for me a little bit, just kind of talking about, you know, overall uh, 
kind of how it kind of sits in all of next gen for me. I know normally we would probably go through and name some of our favorite episodes, but our interview with Larry went a little over and I really do want to include all of it and ours, which means the episode is going to be long. So I think we did a good enough job throughout the season (laughs) (laughs) and we'll, uh, we'll skimp on our season seven recap because our interview with Larry Nemechek is an overall kind of an overview of next gen and that's one of the reasons we wanted to get him on and put it in this very episode. So I'm gonna, we're going to put that in right now, and we'll be back uh, to wrap up the show after that interview. So here it is right now. Hello, Larry. Uh, and see. other 1970s bad sitcoms. Okay. <laughs> uh, Larry Nemechek is a Trek ninja. That's the word I've got for him. <laughs> he has okay. written several outstanding books, including the recent uh, Stellar Cartography, Making a First Contact, and The Next Generation Companion, a reference tool that this podcast uses on a weekly basis. Uh, he was the managing editor for Communicator for many years. He contributed to StarTrek.com. He's a frequent guest at conventions, and you can find him on, among other things, the VAM for the uh, next-gen Blu-rays. He's currently the chief spokesman for the nonprofit Enterprise in Space, a grassroots-funded space orbiter, carrying 100-plus student projects aloft in 2019. And uh, we are so grateful for you to uh, make the time to hop on our show. Um, so our show is, uh, you know, we, we do like episode reviews. We do them in order. We actually started with DS9 and it just got it got lucky. We got lucky that uh, they, they started putting out the next-gen Blu-rays. Um, were you surprised that they did that remastering project at all? Did you, did you expect them to do that someday? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm... I'm uh... Glad to be on. I'd, I'd see your avatar go by on Twitter or Facebook or something and think, oh, okay, well, I should, I should see those guys sometime. So it's, it's fun to be here. Um, well, yes, in a way, because, I mean, the, the original series Blu-rays remastered were interesting because the whole jump in and do the visual effects upgrade was kind of a, a big deal. That was a big, huge investment that normally you don't see people putting that kind of money out. Yeah, Except, I guess that was more than a straight telecine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and it's but it is Star Trek, and everybody knows that if you can get over the hump of the investment I mean, corporately, if you get over the hump of the investment, then it, it would pay off. You know, there's another generation or whatever or two that you can mine and milk. But the next gen was going to be a totally different thing because they outright went out and CG the visual effects of original series, and next gen was since everything had been dumbed down visually to composite it in video, which now we go, oh, my God, what? what? But yeah. in 1986, 87, that's the only way they could afford to do the visual effects as fast as they could. You know, pre-CG era, shooting motion control models or doing analog, you know, powdered powdered uh, uh, liquids in water tanks and for vortexes and stuff, mm-hmm. um, you were still filming and you still had to composite. And, you know, forget the money. Just doing it on a time frame with film and stock and all. So, but to go back and bring that up to spec, you know, HD it, much less Blu-ray it. Um, they actually had to go back and get the original. <laughs> it's like it's. It would have been easier, you know, if money was no object. It would have been easier to sit and CG everything again, even if you were like <laughs> slavishly recreating the CGs. Yeah. <laughs> but but because you would have had models eventually, and you so. But to go back and get like the actual photographic elements, if it hadn't been. If they hadn't been on such a tight budget, they wouldn't have been filing every little scrap of an element away, even into DS9, even into Voyager. You know, like if they had a fire effect that they really liked, they would keep it 
as an element and use later. And if they hadn't been like slavishly filing, you know, like a Cardassian file clerk away, <laughs> all of those elements, and then they stayed there and they weren't part of the, you know, woohoo, sell everything off auction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or people carry it home because it's film stock or film whatever. But the fact that those were all sitting there stuck away, you know, like some ancient library with the order, you know, the index to it, and very little of it lost or out of whack. It's just amazing because if they hadn't had that, they wouldn't have been able to go in and then they just pulled the original film. You know, instead of they, they couldn't take the, the finished film because it had been on, done on tape, which is why we'd go back and watch it now. And it's all everything is soft and soft edges on everything. And the first year, two or three years when it was all analog, the, the lights glittered, you know, it was all aliasy almost, although it wasn't digital. It was it yeah. looked that way. So, so the fact that they had that where they go back to the elements and HD, the individual elements and then put them together for real instead of down resing it on tape like it was originally. If they hadn't been for that, it would have been insane. But that that was still a lot of money to throw at it, but it would have been, you know, like four or five times the money. As it was, right. thanks to the analness of the filing away and the being cheaper in the beginning, they were able to do it. And it's kind of like a miracle that they didn't have more pieces missing. You know, they, there's a couple of famous cases where they had to go in and actually do CG fixes. But so yeah, but that was the main thing. The, the cleaning that's what up concerns me though. You know? So that's that's a good point. But then you think about as as DS9 goes on. And then for a lot of Voyager, you know, the later you get into DS9, the more they started doing CG instead of shooting those as separate elements. Right. And then, of course, Voyager has an even higher percentage of that. Um, do you think that that means that it's even less likely that DS9 and Voyager could happen well, since the cost would go up because they'd have to actually really do a lot of those well, effects from scratch? It'll happen someday, but for everybody, I mean, in a way, we all got spoiled. Well, you know, Enterprise was done digitally, so bang, it was a no-brainer. People go, well, why'd you skip to the end? Well, because it was already... <laughs> <laughs> you could go, fall out of bed. Yeah, it was good to go. You could fall out of bed and do that one, basically. But um, original series was the original. Okay, here's the thing: the original series A was three years, so it was only you know seventy nine episodes, eighty episodes, mm -hmm. and it was the original series, you know, the gods or whatever. So the classic, and then Next Generation has even bigger. If you look at the raw numbers, even bigger fan base. Than the original series does, which seems bizarre, but just because the numbers were bigger to begin with and then ongoing. So hmm. they started off looking at the costs and amortizing everything out, just like they did when they filmed the shows. They had, they had the formula done from day one and then they stuck to it. Sorry, uh, you know, I don't care if you were a huge hit, we're doing seven years, bang. And, um, but DS9 and Voyager, because next-gen sales, the last two or three or four years, I mean, I think, I don't want to say people were spoiled, but it's a, bit like, it's a little bit like Enterprise on TV in first run. People, you know, it's been 10 years, and people are like, I'm sorry, we'll bring it, bring it back. <laughs> in Oklahoma, we promise not to screw up the next oil bust if you let us have another one. <laughs> you know, so the sales went down, and it was it really, you know, the, the enthusiasm went out of the sales, plus what you said, the effect, you know, the... Going back and redoing the effects on DS9 is going to be as costly as it was on TNG, and no one sees the sales return, even though my thing, and it bears it out when I talk to people, uh, the, the fans are higher on DS9. There's more DS9 fans now than there was when it was on the air, but, uh, and enthusiastic. But the numbers, they, don't just, they just do not see the numbers for, TNG, for uh, Voyager or DS9 to match if they're going to have to spend seven years' worth of episodes doing what they did for TNG. They just don't see the numbers, which is sad. And so everybody sat at home going, okay, they're just going to crank these out because it's automatic and it's Star Trek. It's like, yeah. 
apparently not. So the only way we would get it is if they can find a way to do it cheaper. Right, or maybe, you know, everything changes, and when Blu-ray becomes old hat now, like HD is, the next time something comes around, the Blu-raying, baby uprezzing, whatever, that may get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to the fact where maybe in three or four or five years, which seems like an eternity now, um, you know, it may get cheap enough to do. Or there may be some huge, some huge thing. We may, we may survive the 50th anniversary and a third movie and Star Trek fandom quintuples in the world huh. or something, you know. But for right now, yeah. Let me ask you this then. So, uh, uh, heated debate on our podcast. Oh. I kind of came around to the whole widescreen thing. When, when it first started, I was like, yes, absolutely. I agree. It needs to stay four by three. You know, but then as time's gone on, I'm starting to think it's less and less a big deal if if the stuff if the composition isn't quite as pretty because there's an empty there's emptiness on the left and right side of the frame. Obviously, a C stand or a the sound guy, you'd have to CG those guys out. But I know that they were still technically shooting widescreen because there was no such thing as four by three thirty five millimeter. Um, you know, now I see shows like uh, I've started to watch The Wire and its new HD incarn- incarnation, and it just it, yeah, I can tell that they shot it for the box, but it doesn't really it doesn't really bother me. Uh, Steve on our podcast here, on the other hand, uh, Steve gets very excited about this topic, <laughs> and Steve thinks I'm in, in in very very wrong. And but here's here's my 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 question. Uh, one of the reasons it, it kind of came up was I, more recently, uh, I started to wonder if the reasons some of the excitement died down from next gen's uh, hd remaster was you know maybe it would have been more successful maybe the especially the latter seasons maybe it would have sold better or had a better reaction or gotten better new syndication or something had it been widescreen do you think that's a possibility or am i full of oh i hadn't you know i started to say though first off i think we all go through life with a lot of emptiness on our left and right side (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hadn't thought. I had not thought of that. I missed out on your debate. Um, wow. I think the first. I think the first year sales, first couple of years sales, were driven by people. You know, the first year was like, oh my god. Even though the episodes were not the best. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I think when you had the then when you had the spotlight years, and I hate to say it, but I think the fathom events ending. Because of the after third season, the fuss that was made about um, hey, the people weren't even, even. I don't know if you knew this or not, but even though um, uh, the thing with the guilds and the residuals and the rights, like a public showing at all those theaters around the country, mm-hmm. the reason those were even doable was because they didn't pay like you would with a showing on TV. All the you know the writers guild, directors guild, SAG, all the guilds and and all the fees didn't go out to people because and and not. It wasn't a slimy thing. There's provision to be able to do something like that as long as it's like a nonprofit. And what threw me was how CBS wouldn't go. It was technically all those all those um, showings, the first three years yeah. around the theaters, The uh, those were all done for the benefit of the Red Cross. I mean, Fathom Events oh. got, their, got their event yeah. cost, and then everything above that, Actually went to the Red Cross. They were great marketing tools. Everybody knew when the Blu-rays. Well, that, were yeah, they out. were exactly. Yeah. They were they were done as a marketing. I remember, tool. you know, I, I'm in LA like you are, and and uh, the first one or one of them I tried to go to, and the theater was sold out. You know, it wasn't until I started going to the ones in or was it Burbank or wherever where they would put it on like two different screens and in big yeah. rooms, and then I could actually yeah. get a seat. You know, yeah. So they well, were and they, and 
it was well the other thing about the, the other bum thing about that was um it was all computerized nationwide ding 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 there was no provision for any like here in la and i never got to go to one because one time i was in el paso at a con or something but there was never any provision to be able to if you were in la say to um have you know get have people from the shows there have guests to talk ahead of time and if you held it up for 10 or 15 minutes who cared because people would all you know or, or to get there early to talk Anyway, there was no provision for that, which was kind of... Still, they did it anyway. There were some of the theaters that did have... They would just... Everybody would just kind of say, let's all go to the West L.A., whatever, or let's go to the Burbanks or whatever. But um, uh, uh, the, the, was the, uh, the Fathom events was... They, CBS didn't want to like... No, we don't want to talk about going to the Red Cross. I'm like, why not? That should be a... That'd be a nice feel-good bit. What do, you, what do you mean, why not? But that was in there legally... To, to avoid that, but also to do it, to, you know, send the money oh, on. So they were but, already doing what they needed to do so that it was No, it was illegal. all, yeah, it was all, it was all above board. They were actually, huh. like, not wanting to publicize the fact that they were, I said, why don't, this is a nice little feel-good bit. Why don't you, I mean, Joe, Joe and Mary Fan out in the hinterland could care less that they were, you know, the thing with the gills and a non-profit and all that. They just knew they were paying a ticket to see the thing in their screen. It was cool. But you know, if anybody ever asked, but for some reason, a few people made after after the best of both worlds season three aired, and it was like really, it was the one that had the really hugest anticipation. Because here was the thing: the first season, it was like Data Lauren, Rain Old Man, and it was like, what do you pull out of the first season to show? I mean, I might have done, you know, um, 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 conspiracy or neutral zone or something, but you know, they didn't do Farpoint. So anyway, they picked those for different reasons. Those were those were just exciting, just the fact that everybody could see the HD, you know, the yeah. remastered effect. Second year was Q Who, and I forget the other one right off. Uh, Measure the Man with all the extra footage. So yeah. between that, and mm-hmm. people were excited. But the, and then of course, it's all leading up to, oh, you better do Best of Both Worlds. You better do, and they did, and that was exciting. And then after that, that was the last one because the, the got on enough radar that people were kind of grousing about. So you think if they had kept those going, it would have helped the sales. I think it would have helped the sales, yeah, because the natural thing there was, it, you kind of, when you think about the history of Next Gen just generically, unless you've got a favorite show, everybody thinks of the build from, yeah. you know, uh, wheels off the wagon to getting it straight to Michael coming in and straightening up in Best of Both Worlds and bang, and you're off and running. And then everything is build, 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 crazy, crazy, crazy after that. So this That's idea that. that about the widescreen versus 4 by 3 you don't necessarily think it would, would have made a difference in Yeah, sense. I think that the entire DVD Blu-ray buying audience is not you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. But I, right. I, you know, I, I don't think, I just think it was success fatigue in a, in a micro kind of way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which was sad, but, uh, you know. And, and the Fathom events ended, and I think that was just a little bit extra foam and buzz. But by the time you get to the sixth season and the seventh season, People are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's some excitement. With all- what, the other thing was like stop, they stopped doing the, the one-off hours, right? Aside the, from a Fathom events. Well, no, we had uh, – what have we the got? single releases? They kept those going. Chain of Command. Yeah. Oh, and I did too, but I'm looking at things. them on – yeah, I'm looking at them on my shelf. <laughs> um, <laughs> blew it there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those were there. But anyway, so, so yeah, so, but the t- it's like anybody – TNG or not, it's like the fact files were, although the Star Trek fact files were the most, the ones they sold around the world, England and Europe and around the world. It's like you start off with this subscriber thing or a, or a series and people are all excited at the beginning and it's 
really hard. It's very rare that the sales like pick up, much less stay steady. If you have a long-term commitment from people. Okay, let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing. One idea that I threw out when we first started hearing that the the discs weren't doing as well as everyone had hoped, and you know, my favorite show being DS9 made me concerned that I wasn't going to get it. Um, Good concern. Yeah. Do you think? And this might sound a little crazy, but I don't know. For all I know, it's been discussed. What about the idea of something like crowdfunding, but for a big company like Paramount uh, or CBS, I guess, for the shows, who, who says, okay, we want to do this, but you've basically got to prepay for the entire series, and if we get, you know, get enough people. So that's, you know, when you talk about, well, the sales fall off as time goes on, and I know that is true, but if you get people to, like, basically pay, pay in advance for the whole thing, uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know how many how many people you'd have to have hundred thousand, a million to pre prepay five hundred bucks or something for the entire series. Uh, then that money gets spent on uh, right, you know right. doing the remaster, and now they've just now they just own them and they have and, the masters they can use for other purposes. And you would think that the corporation could kick in. Um, you'd think the corporation could kick in at least a segment of it, you know, on yeah. top top of that. Whatever the whatever the announced goal was, well, two things. Common sense would say, yeah, hell, why not? <laughs> but uh, there's just something about <laughs> there's just something about large corporations and the lawyers that are so concerned. And I, I'm not bashing lawyers. I'm not being kill all the lawyers here. Q in the in the courtroom, <laughs> but um, Shakespeare actually. But there's just something about the risk aversion and all that stuff on one hand, and then also the ego of big corporation, you know, going, are we going to have to settle? Are we going to have to like, grovel for crowdfunding that we can't put these out? On? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing on that one, on the, on the attorney one, I'm just thinking that as much as many people in whatever division it is, TV distribution, because because then once you up, that's what they did with it, the next gens and the originals, especially next gen. Part of the deal it was formulated by the TV distribution end because they knew they would probably pick up a few more markets to show them, and it would create some excitement. Forget the DVD sales; they were also doubled as, yeah. you know, these. This is the new package you'll see on TV and get people yeah. excited again. The so you would have that sales, right? Right, and and I know that DS 9s fan. Like I said, I know the fandom numbers for DS Nine have gone up. I don't know about Voyagers, you know, but well, I think I've double duty. But but I um I, I just think there's something about the lawyers always throwing cold water, no matter how excited the hands-on people are. Then when it turns around, the guys standing behind him, they're like, "Are really seriously? Do you know how much paperwork? <laughs> Every button you press, you're gonna have to you have to click like nine different forms of legal release for your donation because it's yeah. not a startup, it's not individuals, it's a corporation, and they're gonna think of every yeah. Thing in the book, you know. Well, as long as uh, as long as the that negative is, is still sitting in wherever it was now, it, you know, the, now here's a cave the in Pennsylvania. Then yeah. we're okay. Someday I'll have I'll hold out hope. You know, it can still happen. Well, th things keep evolving. I mean, yeah. things are so different from just the whole media age, social media age, the crowdfunding. I mean, everything at old crusty, you know. Leather-bound red chair, book-lined legal office walls mentality about everything. Ivy-covered walls keeps changing, keeps getting more transparent, keeps getting more you know nimble and whatever. And maybe two, three, four years from now, that'll that attitude, that change, the the way things are looked at, and you know, the coming of Netflix and all the streaming services yeah. has already shaken things up as far as I know. I, I know it's been a popular 
so maybe you know, maybe that will shake up like Netflix paying for a show or something. Adams brought that up on our show. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's just keeping up with the digital media because I mean, you you want to be able to at least have a nice clear picture. I mean, SD looks really totally different on a phone or a laptop than HD, and so if you want to keep up and you want to keep selling your show, to me, it's like you want to I you want to update the media. I know, and and, right. and it just takes a while for that to filter in and to think that I, you know what I'm saying. It's yeah. yeah. Let's change topics a little bit. I want to make sure we get to some other stuff here. Um, what do you think? It, you know, again, so we're so we're really talking. Uh, well, gosh, how long have we spent watching these on our for our podcast? I guess we spent a little over two years now watching uh, Next Gen. Um, it took you two years to have me on. What is this? <laughs> well, you're you're wrapping the show for us. This is our final oh. podcast discussing. All, we're you know finishing up all the Blu-ray watching right now. Okay. What do you think is uh, Next Gen's legacy, it's especially you know compared to the to the other shows uh, in the franchise? Like, what are Next Gen's kind of greatest successes and things that it it brought to Star Trek? Well, I mean, chronologically, there's a lot of them. What's weird now is to have fans who are just coming. I used to think about this with European fans, but now it's everybody because we're you know we're we haven't all died off. The people that watch them week to week in first run. <laughs> But so many, you know, from now on, all new fans are going to, I keep calling it the big box, the wall ODVD boxes. You know, it's like everything, it's kind of like when my kids were first watching um, Cartoon Network, and I thought how crappy it was that the 60s cartoons were next to the 70s cartoons, next to the 80s cartoons. Next to, mm. It's like everything was just, you know, you had no context for where it came from or the quality. And they go, I don't like to watch that one because the it's crappier, it looks crappier than this. Well, it was made 30 years earlier, you know. <laughs> And and you get that a lot with until you you know if it's a brand new out of the box fan who's just looking at the wall that's coming looming at them, well, of course they're going to think an Enterprise looks slicker than an original series, and you know the the remasters have helped with that. So people, you know, next generation, Jesus Christ, reinvented syndication, proved that Star Trek was not a failed little show that had this fluky cult audience, that it was a concept that would live, which is what you know like Bob Justman and some of the original guys wanted to. They just want to live long enough to see all that, you know, justified and verified. And, you know, just reinventing the thing. And, and busting, you know, until Farpoint premiered, even hardcore fans, you know, there were a whole chunk of original series fans that would not watch Next Gen very loudly. You know, if it's not Kirk, Spot, McCoy, you can't call it Star Trek. I don't care if Gene did. Do I remember it. that, yeah. Right. And, and they all kind of went into underground bunkers. And I think... I think some of them actually came out of it for the first time for Enterprise, which just kind of blows people away. But, you know, the audience shrank and then exploded and then was huge, right, for Next Gen, even way bigger than Next Gen, than the original series ever was. But that's what it did. It, it busted the parameters where instead of thinking Star Trek was these three guys on one, um, you know, one ship, you get the whole time frame. You get the whole, you know, let's... We're gonna. We're not going to reboot. When they said we won't reboot, we won't recast. We yeah. will just say, "Hey, eighty years." So we can still keep Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and everything they did. But we're just eighty years down the line. We honor them, but now we get to show what's happened. Plus, it had been twenty years in real time, so you had enough, you know, TV production and prop technology and visual effects technology, supposedly, and everything else. You know, ensemble casts had come after Botchko with L.A. Law and Hill Street Blues. You didn't have first lead, second banana, everybody else casting anymore in your one-hour dramas, you had, you know, the ensemble show, which fits mm. Star Trek better. Um, 
so all of those things, you know, made next generation, you know, bust out of the box and, and really show that from now on, when people thought of Star Trek, you've just, you've just, you know, busted the sandbox wide open. And now Star Trek and a future Star Trek, you can go over to this corner of the sandbox or you can go over to this corner of the sandbox, or you can go to the sandbox a floor up and be in another, you know, alter, alter universe. But I mean, it what? just opened up the frame so much that now you could do Voyager, you could do DS9, you could do, you even do JJ and have it be an alternate you know, universe if whether you like it. Are, are there any ways that you think maybe next gen hasn't aged so well? Well, you know, yeah, there's the things that, and, and next gen started off trying to fix everything that people had made, all the memes, you know, and the tropes of original series, like don't have the captain beam down and don't have the transporter beam break down every week if you're going to trust it. So, which immediately became, you know, don't have the, the holodeck break down every week or you don't trust it. Um, I, you know, some people, people criticize the women, and I know Jerry Taylor came in and tried to, to do that. You started off with a women. You know, some of the things that started off so radically, they're going to be a big shakeup. Now people like to make fun of. And, and part of this was when I was talking about the, the pendulum swinging back and forth and how the original series was so big. Pendulum swung, how the original series was like laughed at for a lot of people when Next Generation was at its height. Because they'd say, oh, the old effects and oh, the cardboard sets and the plywood and the Christmas light blinkies. And oh, my God, I can't, you know. And then when people got, when... Voyager and DS9 and Enterprise and everything was kind of at a low point there and they were really getting worried about the franchise future and Enterprise was trying to do that when Nemesis didn't do well and in the you know in the aughts and about the time they JJ got the film keys and they decided to go back to the root the, you know the original series became retro cool that was the big buzzword like in 05 06 and everything was all about you know and then remastering that's when the original series got remastered because they thought that was you know and it, and it was worth it but and, and and when that happened, everybody turned around and looked at the at next generation, like, oh, the higher regency in space, carpeted walls, and a therapist on the bridge, how 80s is that? <laughs> you know, and, all, and making fun of those tropes. But it's like, uh, yes, that was the intention. The intention was, you know, coming away from original series, they wanted people to have their families. They didn't want people to have to sacrifice family or career, you know, make a choice, family or, or career with Starfleet like you did when the original series, even though it felt more leisurely, really was trying to be that, not just a battleship, like the submarine in space, you know. Yeah, so it sounds like kind of a danger of, of um, well, people going, lose track of going the too context. far back, huh? Yeah, well, people, you know, so like I said, people would make fun of Next Gen, and I'm like, those were intention. There was a thing in the writer's guide that was never used on air, but they called it a technology unchained. And all the stuff that they came up with that was making next gen softer, fuzzier, rounder, more people friendly. Those were intentions. Like the thing of having families on the bridge, having it be less hands-on controls, having it be more automated, having the people be allowed to, you know, and, and the, all the bit about the humanity is more, you know, you don't have people getting drunk. You don't have people fighting. You don't have, Kurt, you know, Spock and McCoy dueling, which drove the writers crazy. You know, the whole per perfect humans don't argue with each other, don't have conflict dramatically. And all of that kind of drove people crazy for a while and got, you know, oh, thank God we're on DS9 where we can fight with, you know, Klingons and, and Bajorans and Ferengi or whatever. Or, or Voyager where we're fighting Borg again. Thank God we, you know, Maquis, we have inner, you know, inner conflict, inner character conflict. But that was all intentional, aside from Gene maturing and what he wanted to do with the show from young man to older man. But, um, yeah, people, people that want to go back, and it, not saying that it's not above. I mean, every show that goes seven years falls into traps, and you're doing really well if you can 
you know, hopefully not jump the shark stage, but if you can avoid some of those and, you know, make big course corrections, like all the shows have done that. But, um, you know, you stop and think like scants. People love to make fun of scant, but that was Gene's big slap at trying to be unisex and trying to be non-gendered. And now people love to ridicule it because people kind of went, oh, that is kind of silly. But, you know, they, they and, and Troy could have been in her skirt the whole time, but then she was in the, you know, then, then uh, they put her in the uniform after six years and it stays that way. But, but the, the women's roles, the doctor, the counselor, people look at those, oh, they're all caregivers. Like, well, that was radical because the women on, you know, the original series were all, well, they're the secretary and the telephone operator and the nurse. And, you know, Next Gen was supposed to be so radical for having the, you know, the McCoy role is going to be a woman. And even when they recast it, it was still a woman. And the chief medical. So, you know, it's, it's all from where you're standing. People need to know the context and, and remember that. So people, next generation, like any show, there's, there's the up and the down of it. But, um, yeah, my, my fear has been, um, especially after the JJ stuff, you know, someday we get, we'll get another Star Trek actual television series. Yeah, um, and my, my fear has been that they'll almost ignore the, the next gen DS9 Voyager era. And I don't necessarily mean ignore it. You know, narratively, oh, we're in the prime universe now, or whatever. I, I mean, just ignore some of these things. Things that brought. I, mean, I guess one thing you talked about was the difference of being more of an ensemble show. And JJ's movies are definitely about more than Kirk, Spock, McCoy. You know, um, I mean, well, okay, maybe they're maybe they're Kirk, Spock, and Uhura. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember when that kind of, especially on Into Darkness, that slapped me in the face when you were watching the little promo things, and I and I realized the third one was Uhura, and I went. <laughs> okay, here's the overlay of um, here's the 2013, you know, the 2013 overlay of culture here, or marketing culture, or you know, around the world, um, you know, trumping having three white guys, or you know, not Spock, but Caucasian. But here's that whole thing about gender and and all that, you know, re uh, not going PC, but you know what I'm saying, reinventing itself, re, you know, evolving here. And so I think people, people notice that, yeah. If people are going to take away, you know, someday the last last like next gen specific question here. If if someday people take some things away from this to incorporate into a new show, what are what are the kinds of things we're talking about? Um, uh, you know, like well, well, whoever's got the keys the next time it's a series, I hope. You know, it's like anything happens. It's like whenever you have the popular teacher or the popular anything that leaves the first or the coach. The first person that comes in after the huge, popular, successful, iconic, legendary, whatever, just they just have their work cut out for them. They're almost like doomed to start, right? And and it's all about what choices you make and the people that come into those situations or the concepts that come in. If you think you're going to reinvent the wheel and oh, you ain't seen nothing, which is kind of what happened with the J with Bad Robot. I think they came into a little bit of this. Oh, it's been 10, 20 years. We're going to have a four times bigger budget. We're going to blow you away. You know, prime schmime, you won't even remember it. Which, and they got kind of rude awakening. Even if they'd been the best movies in the world and nobody had had any bone to pick with any aspect of anything, they would have had a rude shot. Because you can't argue with 737 hours of beloved stuff, yeah. you know, within a 10-year, not, not that soon after it happened. So I hope it's all going to be about who gets the keys how smart they are about not being so arrogant as to think they're going to go out... I, I think there's some fear misguided. I've even heard it out of like Ron and Ira's mouths when I've been able to say this, ask them about embracing 
you know, it's like they think that like, that 700 hours is like a rock around your neck, which mm-hmm. is silly because the novel guys do it all the time. You know, as far as go forward and do a new story or go find some new corner of time and space or space to do a, to do some, some stories set in and and still weave threads from all the other eras and the other shows in together, including yeah. next year. So, now you're getting yeah. into it. We, we've talked it's a lot gonna, about it. It's going to depend on it's going to depend on who's doing it because you can say you can make a bullet point list of ten things, and it, but it doesn't matter. It's all going to depend on who's doing it, and if they don't have their heart or their soul or their mm-hmm. aging fanboy or girl, uh, are they smart enough to hire people next? You know, or in their inner circle that are so. But as far as next generation specifically, I, you know, just just pay attention to, just try to be aware of as you're looking at successes, our own culture, our own viewpoints are just like from the 60s to the 80s, inevitably evolve and change. Maybe we'll eventually have, you know, a gay or even now an LGBTQ character without it being like, oh, look, it's the LGBTQ character. You know, I mean, that'll just be part of it, just like everything else that next generation did that the original series you know it sounds like though you don't think we've hit some point where there's just too much prior story and it needs to be you know uh, erased or something uh no well i mean i think i, mean, I we we agree with you we're we we, we are check we are trekkers and uh you I know we love the, the universe so much you know well yeah and it's like it's like jesus christ the 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 um multiplayer you know star trek online it's like what you know? I mean, Star Wars, and I. There's no Trek Wars rivalry here. To me, it's always just been. I mean, I, I love Star Wars, but my brain and my head is all invested in Trek. But there's 700 and something hours of Star Trek. And to me, it's just a matter of math. Even if you include, you know, uh, the Clone Wars or something, it's still what uh, six movies until they now. Now that they're cranking up, this will start to change a little bit, especially if CBS yeah. and don't get off their their butts and do something. You know in an organized way. But uh, up until now, it's just been 12 hours of major film and then however many couple of dozen hours of animated versus 700 hours of Trek background. Even if you, you know, and the stinkers, my God, even, you know, uh, what are little girls or, or um, and the children shall lead at least had the Federation banner in it. I mean, you know, so there's something worthwhile. But even if you want to say, you know what, a fourth of the show's, we're just clunkers. Let's just wipe them out, which will make some people gasp. But you, you do that, you still got 500 yeah. and something hours. So it's just, there was nothing more invented, more ready for like a multiplayer game, you know, than a massive online game, than Star Trek with all the, and it's not just Star Wars is, is all like, oh, this was on a, which, is, which was kind of, I don't want to say amusing because I fell for the fans that were really invested. But, you know, so much of Star Wars was all like, well, this was on a trading card, you know, or this was, it wasn't canon on air, which wasn't how they did their universe, because if they were going to have games and comics and novels, they had to get beyond 12 hours film, 24, 36 hours of animation. You know what I'm saying? Star Trek had it. I mean, there was stuff invented in gap filling, my, my phrase, um, for Trek, but it was so much, you know, there was so much already there. You know, from that's root canon source. So, or the clues are there that needs to be fleshed out. So, yeah, I mean, the, but to see people taking that as a rock around your neck and it, no, you can go. I mean, my favorite thing would be to go halfway between original series and next gen. I want to know what the Tomed incident was about. I want to know first contact with the Cardassians. I want to know in that that BC era, 
B slash C, you know, enterprise-ish era in there, halfway between that, in that mid-century. Or go back to the April era in between Archer and April slash Kirk, you know? I mean, if you're talking uh, original, between original or, um, uh, you know, pre-next gen, we're talking uh, prime universe though, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, do, again, you think, do you think it's, it's possible yeah. that they could finish up, hours, that they could do another J.J. movie? Well, okay, the next one will be J.J. produced, whatever. Do you think it's yeah. possible they could do that, and then that'll just be it for what happens in that universe? Uh, that would... The best thing about having a blog, since the world <laughs> blew up and I wasn't just a cog in a big machine, all the things I used to say, and now I didn't have them written down, uh, since we've had the blog era, and you had to be on your own as an entrepreneur, like since 08 or so, I wrote this stuff down, and I tried to say before 09 happened, guys, whether or not this is a big hit or a big flop, it's still just a movie. Hit or miss, it's a movie. You'll wake up the next morning going, after all the excitement and after all the, like, drip, drip, drip of the rumor and everything for three years or whatever it was, you'll wake up and go, I have to wait three more years for two more hours? You know, when, when you've got a fandom that's based on if not a 26-hour season, at least ongoing, cranking out the adventures with these characters, commenting on, you know, social events, commenting on current events, having cool tech, you know, projecting into the future, all that stuff, all the layers of what Star Trek is. And you don't get that with two hours every mm-hmm. three years, whether it's it could be the best thing in the world, but it's still what it was. So... Um, I'm yes, I often quote your uh, a, a refrain of yours from when, uh, like, uh, Steve and I saw you at a convention a while back, and you said something to the effect of "Star Trek is a TV show. Movies are great, but Star Trek's a TV show." The and, movies uh, are the icing on the cake. Yeah. And people who want to compare the Star Trek movies to Star Wars or James Bond or Harry Potter or whatever, I just go, no. It's a, it's a lot to me. It's a lot the same as with the Monty Python movies. People go, yeah. "Oh, I love Monty Python. I love Holy Grail. I love." Okay, no. Watch the time. series. The series is about Python is about the transitions and the goofy stuff and the ding ding ding. You know, that's what it is. It's not I love the movies, but it's so much more. And that's Star Trek. It's like, no, it's you're seeing this is the movies are a reward to that cast for doing well. <laughs> and you get a bigger budget. Woohoo. You know, and, a couple a couple other things I wanted to hit before we have to let you go. Um we were all we were taken pretty hard by Nimoy's death recently. I'm sure you were too. But we were gratified to see um, the way his his passing got like reported, even on the, the most mainstream news. Like I went to every single news outlet I could think of around the world, and it was like the top. You know, he was the top story, and uh, I was so surprised about that. Um, I'm wondering, and and why do you think that he crossed over into the mainstream in a way that it seems like almost no other Trek person has? Well, there's a the, the new Trek magazine that's coming out, which I know nobody reads Deadwood anymore. But um, yeah, at the very last minute, it's kind of like when we did Communicator and D died, like right on our deadline, and we held up for two or three weeks and did a, did a special issue, did a quickie thing, and then they're doing an issue later. But for the quickie bit, they had me write a piece about this and one of the about that day, just kind of that day, and, and how it was my thing, but also the world, and it hit me, and my point was kind of like we. I, I think because you know Spock and, and Spock was not my favorite character. McCoy was anybody that knows me. Although I mean I love the original series. Guys are golden, you know. And I did, and I wasn't close to Leonard as a person. The lower the, I don't know Shatner that well. We tweeted back and forth a couple of times, but you know I. But I know Walter and I know George and, and Michelle and they're all in my Connor Rath documentary. 
Um, but it's almost like we took Spock for granted, or I did, and 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 uh, and maybe not Leonard too, but in a weird way. And I only say that because, uh, yeah, the world, the world was already doing that when, and I started putting these ducks in a row in my mind. In '86 was the after '66 in the premiere. I, I keep saying '86 was the most pivotal year in, in Trek history because Star Trek IV was the biggest crossover year. The stations that have been screaming for more episodes finally they finally got went back to Gene to do the new series, do more shows, which turned into Next Generation. And '86 was the first time the studio went, "Oh, we should like uh, make more money off this thing if we do it right." And it was the first year they had an anniversary like marketing. It was the 20th anniversary year. All that stuff kind of happened, and in the middle of all that, Newsweek and Time had cover stories about uh, Star Trek. And the Newsweek one was the first one, I specifically. And it was, you know, it wasn't a ship, it wasn't a group shot of the cast. In 1986, it was Leonard and his, you know, Monster Maroons headshot, and the high, the headline basically was uh, the enduring power of Star Trek. And you know, just in 1986, they picked Leonard to do that. And the fact that he had been like the second banana that you know came out and was initially the you know the, the actor ego agent maneuvering the first couple of years may have left maybe we'll recast him well and then that died away once they kind of gave them you know equal favored nations status from time, from then on through everything until today through today so you know when that went away Spock is the iconic the pointy years guy when they didn't have any budgets for makeup I mean everything. Yeah, flows and live long and you know George and Michelle and Walter. They'll all. I always thought it was funny for when I was younger that they would in start and end their convention you know talks or they'd be on TV and they'd do the you know live long and prosper. It wasn't because it was the Vulcan thing and they played a Vulcan. It was just that just became Star Trek. And so, hmm. what's the root of all? The root of all of it goes back to Leonard and and uh, but yeah, it did. It was a paradigm shift and it threw me a little bit that it was so. I was curious and I think I was tweeting this stuff and. That's this piece I wrote in the Titan was kind of not that I was Mr. Genius, but I was going back and looking at my tweets and they were kind of like a, a fossil record already of where my head was going. And I think a, a lot of people's heads were. And one of them was, um, I want to see what the mainstream media does. And then I was blown away. But think, think what's happened. It's like watching the, the Star Trek shows gradually be taken over by fanboy writers instead of suspecting the fans on the staff of stealing stuff and leaking stuff. Eventually, the shows were run by the fanboys. And that's, you know, the geeks won. Big Bang Theory is the number one show. Yada, 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 go down the list. Mm. You know, and we live in a, we're in our 24-7 geek-centric world now. And Gates and Steve Jobs and, and you know, all these guys. Were, and Paul Allen bought Trek charity, th Trek, Trek auction things to put in his museum. And, you know, a, the biggest nerd in the world owns the Super Bowl champions last year. And I mean, just, you know, we live in a different world now, so... I think, but what's funny is it even sneaks up on us, like you were saying, and like I was thinking, it's even sneaked up on us that we didn't have to like look out of our, we didn't have to look out of our basement <laughs> and see what the rest of the world's <laughs> doing. We're all very much up here on the ground floor and running the world, and of course the world stopped and went, oh my God, Leonard's passed. You mentioned uh, Con of Wrath. What's what state is that in? It's it's. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, this is not like the uh, the uh, thing we've been beating to death for. This was always kind of the little project at a time. But this next mm -hmm. coming year, we're going to try to wrap it up. Uh, we just shot Michelle about a month ago. 
and uh, I'm going to make a couple more passes at people. But uh, it's it's pretty much there. I'm still anybody that hears this, just so you know, if you were at the infamous um, Ultimate Fantasy Convention, which was the first big mega show Star Trek event ever planned which, as we say, did not quite go as it was intended. <laughs> it was two weeks way back in June of 82, two weeks after the Wrath of Khan premiered, in Houston, Texas, purely because of the locals that came up with the idea and got George and Walter on their side, and they went back while they shot Wrath of Khan and got everybody on board except Leonard, who didn't come, but at the last minute tried to come, and they wouldn't let him come, which is a story in itself. But this whole weekend, A, was this iconic thing that I didn't want to leave let fade away into memory. It was my first road trip as a kid to go on um, when I was young with some friends. It was like an eight, 10 hour drive to Houston. And it just seemed to say so much. And, and I, I ran across a guy three years ago at a con party who was talking about it. And I said, oh my God, were you there? And he says, was I there? I was the tech director on the stage. And I said, <laughs> oh my God. And I just had this light bulb go off of, I'd been trying to get beyond being a word guy and get into media and Every time I'd get a foot into something, it would, the door would close or something would happen. And I'm like, this is something I can control myself. This needs to be preserved, but it needs to be, you know, not just interviews. It needs to be on camera. My God, this could be a documentary. I think it would be hysterical and incisive. And, and my goal is to not just be like something for the con circuit, but to be a lot of human nature. And Because hmm. people then are like in their 50s now that were there. The organizers, I mean, the actors are older than that. But the dealers, the organizers... Um, People that were there thinking back on it. We tell the story of the lead up and the weekend and all that, but we talk about this this thing about the geek girl revolution the last few years. Women have women were Star Trek fandom in the very beginning because of Spock and Vulcans. And I can break that seven year cycle and you know, all that stuff. And all the early fan leaders, B. Joe Trimble and, and Shirley Mayuski and and uh, Joni Winston and all the early conventions and the fanzines for sure, all were women pushed. And it wasn't I don't there's, I argue sometimes that it was the stupid Shatner skit on Saturday Night Live when the when the meme of the uh, the stereotype of the fanboy, you know, Cheeto's yeah. fingertips in the basement kind of got started. Because I remember watching that and going, you got the wrong stereotype, guys. Where's the middle-aged women fans? You don't have, you know, the night it was on, I remember thinking that was off. But anyway, um, so we get into that and just the whole thing of what social media, internet, has done to what's different, what's the same about fandom then and now, and people reflect. And so, you know, it's just social. So I'm not trying to be too big about it, but I, I hope it's something that has, it's more than just, you know, the fanboys and girls will get off on it. And so well, I can't wait to see it. So it sounds like maybe, you're, maybe this year. I've set the bar too high. The set the bar yeah. is now way too high. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, my editor and I are talking about getting it done because um, it's a small little group of us here, but. Um, getting it done for, in spring and trying to have it for, for the anniversary year, but earlier than the insane time of August, September, when things are like white hot, you know, yeah. get lost and all that attention. I, I'm saying this now and sending real committal, so now I'm going to have to do a hell or high water, but I'd like to be like April, May, June, and through there for next year. We'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and um, I've got some uh, people coming on board now to be producers, it uh, looks like, hopefully. To help us because we just we just spend this weekend kind of project along the last four or five yeah. weeks doing a little bit at a time but um and i never did a kickstarter for it i might do like an in-game kickstarter but i've always had a paypal donation page with perks if anybody wants to go to conorath.com and see what's going on there um we're still doing that or if you see me live at a convention i do my dr trek show kind of meetup event 
on at night for two hours and we have a lot of fun and, and I show rare clips from the dock and I show rare trek clips period and we do trivia and prizes and people get me drunk and I sell you things I shouldn't say and that reminds me last thing tell people about your uh, those audio interviews that you've released you know for oh yeah well we that were awesome. talking well thank you um yeah it started off like I had all the interviews I did for the companion some of the convention things but when the when next gen was done, and I was sitting here, and I realized I knew everybody, and why stop now? Uh, I kept I do my end of the year kind of like debriefs because that was the time when people a had the time they were relaxed, but before they dumped their memory core, you know, and went on hiatus and came back had to come back fresh. Writers, producers, designers, some of the you know people that actually made decisions or were there with the stories of why things went a certain way. Why were the Ferengi whips so wimpy, Alan Sims? I mean, you know, the real stuff. Uh, not just because God bless the actors, we love them. Uh, they have the charisma. They can tell the funny stories, but they don't always determine why things are certain ways. So I kept it going, and but then I wound up with like 400, 500 hours of these hour-long, two-hour-long interviews on cassette tape, and I wanted to save them, you know, from the '90s and the aughts. And uh, and then it turned into, well, why don't I figure out a way to share it? So yeah, so my Trekland, you know, which is my blog and kind of my brand. Trekland on speaker, and I wanted something when the companion was in print for 20 years, and when it finally went out of print, you can get it, you know, eBay and I mean, ebook and Kindle, but it's kind of hard to sign those icons and things. So um, <laughs> I wanted something for conventions, and then Star Cartography was huge, but it was also huge and expensive. <laughs> so, uh, so these are great to have, and I've, so far I've like debuted one each year at Vegas, and then I have it in stock, and I've let the first one go to. Um, it's, I'm going to get it on iTunes, so I let it go out of print, so to speak. But, yeah, I, I get, like, it's an hour and 15 minutes, which is the max you can put on a CD. And for anybody that rolls their eyes at a CD, again, it's something I can have at a convention and sign and write notes, and it's mm-hmm. something tangible. But it's – we basically uh, – my friend Chris Jones does the Trek FM podcast. He does the art design, and uh, he remasters it after I just digitize them. But I'm getting them off the tape, and I'll go in and find, like, 15-minute uh, chunk. The first one was just people who have passed away. So it was like Bob Justman, Michael Piller. Um, uh, oh, my God, I forgot who else. Oh, uh, I had one actor. I had um, Mark uh, Leonard. Um, and somebody else has escaped me. But the, the second one, then, I did peg to an anniversary because I didn't know what to do after that because it was wide open. And I pegged it to, um, instead of like makeup or visual effects or something, I just went to um, uh, uh, the anniversary for All Good Things. And then the second one was the anniversary of DS9's finale, um, what you leave behind. I think this year's is going to be Voyager's pilot. So caretake. So, but it's uh, so, and it's still some people, have, but like uh, All Good Things had Ron, Brandon, Michael Piller, and Rick Colby, who's the director who also has passed away the last couple of years. But again, it's everything from back in the day. So it's everybody talking from 1994 or 1999. And, yeah, that, that's uh, really great. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost done with that. The... Oh, I can't remember his name now. The the book uh, that the uh, the he wrote, the guy wrote oh, from oh, um, yeah. uh, from the first movie. Yeah, yeah. Mark, um, my good friend, Mark <laughs> Cushman. Mark Cushman. Yeah. No, not that one. No, uh, oh. I know Mark as well, actually. Um, no, the the book uh, that's that's um, it was all interviews that were done at the time that the first movie came out. Oh, oh, Preston Jones. Yeah, I have an interview. Yes, Preston him. Jones book. That, of that's kind of what it is. It's just it's, it's video uh, chats to put it's up. Just yeah, I just tra- got transcribed of, of, of those those interviews. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that stuff is great. Hearing that from the time, it's awesome. 
Well, and that's what basically he did. What he told me this, I know exactly what you did. And you think about that with a movie, but basically, I was in a time and a place where I had the cachet, and everybody knew me from. And my wife worked on Voyager five years with the, with the writers, so everybody knew me, and they knew, you know. And plus, I was you. We were doing fact files. We were doing communicator. I originally did this, so it was like, hey guys, let me talk to you now, so I won't come back twenty years from now, because you know it's Star Trek, and people are gonna be talking about this for forever. So let's get it now while we're fresh, and it's a good time to do it. And everybody's like, yeah, oh, sure, okay. So, again, it's from back in the day, and it's fresh and way more detailed than anybody's going to remember, you know, remember now. So, But thank you for the shout-out there. People are really up on all good things. It's some, and, and when you hear these, just know that these are like a fraction of what I have, even from that conversation, much less. That's crazy. You know. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We are so grateful. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. And um, again, hey, you mentioned you, Enterprise in Space. Maybe I can come back on sometime. And yes, we're definitely going to have you on uh, to discuss Enterprise in Space soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Well, LarryNivacek.com is kind of a good a ground zero. Uh, my Trekline blog, which I'm way behind putting up vid chats with, but I've got actors and designers and fandom people and you know all kinds of fun stuff there, videos and also blogging. Um, and um, my Trekland trunk is when we moved, I realized how much stuff I had in the garage, everything from like set things from resources from all these projects over the years. And I just wanted to get them out to people. I mean, there's, there's, they're on sale, but we're just doing little eBay auctions. And I do a, a local one, I call it live and local on Facebook almost every Sunday of some of the wonkier stuff that I don't think a mass eBay audience would have. But I have some regulars that come on to that. So, yeah, so go to Trekland Trunk on Facebook. It, all it is is a thing where if you sign up, I don't have to feel like slimy used car salesman guy. It's <laughs> there. I put it up there. If you're interested, you know about it. But but ConorRath.com and the ConorRath Facebook. And, and oh, Twitter is just at Larry Nimichek. And, um, and my Facebook is uh, Larry Nimichek's Trekland. So I... I point to my own stuff and I put things flying by in the Trek world that I want to point out to people. Sometimes it's obscure stuff. So, um, well, awesome. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you guys. And um, I, uh, good luck for another, at least two more years. And <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing next? Uh, we're going to do, uh, <laughs> we're going to do enterprise. Um, I'm okay. hoping we don't lose half our listeners. <laughs> we're going to do enterprise. <laughs> you know, I noticed the other day, Brandon tweeted this out, and I wanted to go, you, yes, but you stole Doug, uh, Doug Drexler's line, because I did a thing when this group started a campaign on Facebook to, to get Netflix to do a fifth season of Enterprise, right? It wasn't about mm -hmm. raising money, it wasn't a Kickstarter, it was just a, like, glorified petition to get Netflix to consider a fifth season Enterprise. And and Doug came out and endorsed it. I'm like, well, why don't you go off on a limb like that for? And he was big on like the upgraded NX01 that looks more like the Constitution class and all that. But he said uh, he was just about how excited it was. And even if it doesn't happen, it's good to show the demand. And the, and it, but we were talking about how the world's changed and how it's kind of like, you know, be careful what you wish for, you may get it. And it's also like, be careful what you don't have, you may really miss it. Because he said, I love his line where he said, we've got a whole new generation of Enterprise fans who don't know they're supposed to hate it. <laughs> and the, I swear to God, the other day Brandon tweeted that out. Like, I'm just glad we live in a time when there's a whole generation of Enterprise fans that don't know they're supposed to be the show. It's like, Brandon, the least you could do is attribute that back to Doug because, you know, it's out there. If nothing else, it's on my site. But anyway, 
anyway, so yeah, uh, you may be so. There's. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Actually. Second season is thin. The Zindi year is exciting, but it has nothing to do with anything. They were trying to just save their butts and get the ratings up, and then it's almost like the show that it should have been all along season got four. crammed into season four. And yeah. as Manny said one time. So I, you know, it's like people criticize us for having every show be a direct throwback. But he's like, I knew I had, I had like 18 slots. I didn't have much time. So, <laughs> you know, they got everything but two ideas done in that last, that he had his original, we, we got to do this board. So, um, yeah, those were, and that was the, the, the longer the shows went, the longer, the more the, the digital revolution had not only on the film, and, you know, the stock, but digital cameras around the stages and, it's just I, like there's tons of behind the scenes pictures from Enterprise and personal pictures where before you would have been shot if you had a camera, the, you know, like the extras and the crew, and that it all dropped away. And, and my access was easier on Enterprise than other things. Well, why, so why do you think we? You know, why didn't we ever get you know a companion book equivalent for Enterprise then? If it had so well, much. Well, I know why. <laughs> uh, someone was set up to write it. It wasn't me. And the feeling. This was all when all the nonfiction kind of went. In the aughts, the whole there was just a whole malaise about how the numbers were down. You know, Enterprise was the, another failed show that didn't go seven years, and there was just such a blaze. And in computers and memory alpha, the attitude centered at Pocket was everything is online. No one buys books anymore. Uh, who's going to buy this? Enterprise has no fans. It's the failed show. What's the point? So they started to go down that road, and then when it was canceled, they just dropped everything. Of course, thank you know the years have gone by. Calm heads have prevailed, and people now are you know that's an active thing. And I don't know. I've heard idiots that are sitting around with you know dozens of hours of fresh interviews from people that have never even been transcribed yet. So huh. you know maybe we'll have a uh, do an enterprise companion uh, campaign on <laughs> Facebook or <laughs> something. But uh, you know that's that's basically why. But again, it's amazing how things turn around just in. I mean, you know, like in 05, 06, the idea was the only way you're going to do the Star Trek the next time is to go back to the roots and do it with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy again. Well, look how far we've come since then. So that pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth on all things. And, um, yeah. So anyway, good on you guys. It'll be really interesting. I think people see Enterprise in fresh eyes if they were around before. And if not, they'll really see it with fresh eyes. So, Hope so. looking forward okay. to it. Thanks again. Guys, thanks a lot. Thanks, Bye. Larry. We're back from my interview with Larry. Uh, he is so awesome. We are so grateful that he joined us. Um, and I hope you guys, our listeners, uh, found that as interesting to listen to as we did to conduct it. Uh, that said, this is a very long episode now, and you probably aren't even still here. But if you are, this special message is just for you. Hey, how's it going? Look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks when we kick off Enterprise. Uh, with Broken Bow slash Bow and the first episode of the series proper. Wow. Can't believe we finished Next Gen, especially doing three episodes. I mean, this, this took us almost two and a half years. It just flew by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm looking forward to Enterprise. I really am. So, uh, yeah. So, thank you guys for spending all this time with us. And I really hope you're going to stick with us as we go through Enterprise. Till next time, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our email is trekcompanion at gmail.com. 
or follow us on Twitter at Trek Companion. So thanks again for joining us and until next time, take it easy. Bye guys. See you. I passed it.